Please listen carefully. Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Hi, Scott. Hey, buddy. <laughs> um, maybe today is. We're going to talk about our topic in a moment, but today may be the most important time to rehearse the three principles. I agree. Because we're going to talk about the three principles. The third principle. Mostly the third principle. Right, okay. So uh, the three uh, rules that govern our conversations, number one, uh, sacred cows make great barbecue. Number two, you can proudly let your flag fly. That's right. And number three, bros before politicos. So- um, yeah, number three is really important. And it's the title of this episode. It's the title of this episode. Um, so let me uh, rehearse with you a little bit about why I wanted to talk about this explicitly. I think for the past number of episodes, we have referenced this in kind of um, an inductive way, right? Where we kind of implied or tried to demonstrate what it means to engage in discourse with um, – uh, with other believers in ways that are uh, generous or healthy, healthy and appropriately bounded. That recognize the, the, the essential nature of brother and sisterhood before all else. That's right. But um, a couple of things have uh, transpired that I believe make um, a conversation where we explicitly unpack this relevant. Let me tell you what those are. First of all, uh, and this has happened before, but this is the most recent example. I've lost a friend over this junk. Hmm. So as a, um, when Albert Acosta was on with us, he mentioned that as a minister, he tries to keep his politics out of the conversation. Right. Right. And that's uh, something that I did as a full-time minister. When I was in ministry, that was a thing that was important to me. Um, in part because I just don't need that mess. I don't uh, want people hearing me say one thing when I'm saying something else, right? It's easy to assume that if I'm saying we need to be our brother's keeper and you know I'm a socialist, you think I mean take Cole's money, which I'm very cool with. But as we've discussed, that doesn't mean the same thing as um, the imperative that we that we care for each other. So um, there were a lot of reasons why I kept my view of the – functional state or the, the, how power should be distributed. I left that stuff pretty much alone. But just as I said, people, people can sometimes hear you say things that you're not saying. People can also assume that you agree with them mm-hmm. just because you haven't said anything. Mm-hmm. And I have discovered that there were a lot of people uh, whom I ministered to. Did I say that correctly? You did. Okay. Um, there are a number of people whom I ministered to who believed that I shared their view of the world in totality. So uh, 20 years later, when they find out that's not the case, feel betrayed or feel um, like I have not been consistent when all the time I was consistent, but that's not what they heard. Am I making sense? Am I being too cryptic? No, no, no. You make sense. So um, that was the case in this one instance. 
where um, I had said something in public and a former um, member of a congregation that I ministered to um, took offense. And as I said, you may not take offense with those words to my spouse, um, things de-escalated very quickly. Was abusive. Oh, the person had used too stern language to your spouse, who was yeah. also commenting. That's right. That okay. And I said that can't happen. And then that's when things really got crazy. Was, this, was this over social media? It was over yeah. social media. Okay. Um, and that was a thing that happened. It happens, and um, it kind of destroys me when that happens. Because, you know, I, I will say that I gave my life, and I still think I do give my life to my work. Uh, not, not to my job, but to my vocation and my sense of, um, you know, even as a, as a faculty member, I've seen myself as a minister. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's, and my vocation is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And everything else, it kind of sub, subliminated or subordinated to that. So... Um, it's not just somebody is upset. It's a, when a brother is upset and somebody who, um, I feel a certain responsibility to maintain that brotherhood with is upset and, uh, and things go south so terribly. It, it's not something I can just, you know, reach up to my shoulder and brush off. It, it destroys me. Um, and it destroyed me in this, in this instance. So that's episode one. Quick point of clarification. Do you think that the greatest destruction came about with this person's comments to your to you and your spouse or in the following episodes? Yeah. Up until even as he um talked to my to my wife the way he did uh, or wrote to my wife the way mm-hmm. he did, even through that I figured we have to fix this. And then things got to where this is not fixable. Okay. It yeah. was at first, and then it would be, right. okay, I, I get it. I have a pretty deep tolerance. Yeah, I can attest to that. <laughs> uh, no, it's true. I mean that sincerely. We've, we've talked about a lot of contentious topics. That's right. And so I can go uh, a lot of places. Um, I don't think you know your worst day should be representative of who you are. <laughs> I hope my worst day is not representative of who I am. So... I'm okay with having a bad day. That's very different from go to hell. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, that's episode one. Episode two happened on the opposite side, on, on this side of that conversation, which you were not aware of. And uh, Cole and I were having a conversation, and um, I was uh, stung by something you said. I don't even remember what it was now, and it's not, that's not the important thing. But I was stung. I felt like uh, you said something about my intellect, and you didn't. But I was hurting from this other thing. You didn't know this, but I was hurting from this other thing. And I said, I sent you a text message and said, that kind of stung. Or maybe it was an email. And you said, oh, I am so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I totally misspoke. That's not the way I intended it, and I don't want you to feel stung, and I care that, that that this hurt you, and you just, everything you said was the right thing, and I was moved, 
not just by the experience with the other person, but the juxtaposition of your response mm-hmm. against that. And it made me think there's something unique about what we're doing here that needs to be, um, I think, exposed exposed in its mechanics. Hmm. It needs to be described in ways where others have access to it. And I guess the inductive approach doesn't work because I wouldn't have lost that other friend if it does. Yeah, I, I read you. And as we were talking about perhaps having an episode on bros before politicos, I was reminded of uh, one of the reasons why starting this podcast ever entered my mind, and I hadn't thought about this for a while until you and I began talking about this, which is uh, not too many years ago, but but um, in the in the fairly recent past, I have I had a very close friend and I sitting in um, a living room having discussions about things, and someone uh, he he brought up that he has relatives who were quite conservative. And someone asked, why do you find that so? Why do you believe that they have those beliefs? And his response was, well, because they're not very smart. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and that they are, they are completely influenced by conservative media, and they have bought into this really anti-intellectualism. Now, I do not, as a libertarian, consider myself conservative. Right. I am fiscally conservative, socially liberal, which people understand. But I that really bothered me. Right. And so when we got into a, a time where we were alone and talking, I told him, I said, you know, that, that bothered me for these reasons. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand that I... I do not wish to win arguments with you more than I want to love you as a brother. Right. That was hard for me to say because, you know, I'm interested in the rhetoric of arguments. I'm I'm not interested in confrontation all the time. Yeah. And that was something that forced me to realize the division in my life between my brotherly connections and state-sponsored policy arguments. Yeah. And I hadn't done much of that con- considering before. You know um, – that's that's a really good example. I was uh, I don't know if I've told you this, but I um, several years ago I was doing a semester at um, a seminary, and it was a conservative Baptist seminary. So um, I had a lot of good friends at that institution, um, but they have a very different view of soteriology, and um, that's the the theology of salvation than I have. And uh, pretty strictly five-point Calvinist, <laughs> which I'm not. And um, I would get into frequent conversations with a man who I have a very, very close relationship. We'd get in very uh, loud arguments about baptism. <laughs> because for me, baptism is an essential part of the response to the salvation that Christ offers. And for him, if, if let me boil it down, for him, if he got baptized, it's a sin. Wow, which surprised me. Um, I don't know that he represents a, a a large group of people, but for him, it's an act where you try to justify your own salvation, and by participating in an act, it is by in, in and of itself evidence that you are not yet receiving the salvation that Christ Faith offers by works, right. salvation by right. works. Yes. And so, um, we would get into pretty loud arguments about it because baptism is important to me. Um, 
my baptism was important to me anyways. And, and I, when I talk to people about responding to the gospel, a part of that conversation always ends up being about um, receiving baptism. So there was a, it was always a point of contention between us. And we would, every time we would have lunch, we would be yelling at one another and throwing passages and Bible passages at one another. And he would always end the conversations the same way. He'd say, wait, 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 before we go, you have to tell me you love me. <laughs> and oh my, it just, it's such a beautiful expression. You have to tell me you love me. And I thought about, I don't think I've told you this, but I thought about making us do that as part of the the formula for the podcast. And at the end of every episode, you have to tell me you love me. And the, what he's doing there is calling, calling both of us to the brotherhood that supersedes everything. Um, and um, so it's a, that's a great mechanical, I guess, approach to what we're talking about here is making it clear. And that's what you did in this other case is you, you, you basically said, you know, we have to, we have to belong to one another beyond whether you think I'm smart or not. Okay. So let's talk about why this concept that I'm sure the people who are listening to this right now are thinking, well, of course, of course. So let's talk about why it's so difficult when we start talking about matters of state policy. Okay, uh, and what I've been thinking about is the something I have been employing in my life that I haven't thought too much about, but now that you're making me really think about it. When Facebook was brand <laughs> yeah. new, okay, do you remember when Facebook was only per college? Yeah, it's when everybody. Yeah, that's right. You couldn't. There was no such thing as linking to friends outside your own college network. That's right. right? The world was a better place. Well. <laughs> There was no moon, and the sun was only as big as a quarter. It was a long time ago. And so as Facebook began to grow and people went past the point of, hey, remember me? We went to school together. It was, who are you voting for? And I have watched this happen in my life. And I am a person who is – you're really going to laugh at this. And so I am a person who is naturally disposed to – Examine arguments. <laughs> See, I knew that you would. Well, I teach rhetoric, so you understand why. But I, I found myself uh, really spending a lot of time trying to, as as you mentioned early on, not identify with some people making argument A and to argue argument B against some and to try to parse out other arguments. And it was exhausting. And I also found myself, uh, number two out of three, number two, I found myself uh, spending an inordinate amount of time rechecking to see if someone had responded Oh, so right. that I could go represent again. Yeah. And I didn't want to be out, out-argued. I didn't want to be, right? Or at least unresponsive right. to something. But number three, and this, is, this was, should have taken me a lot shorter period of time, I realized... I was saying things on social media in a tone and in a stance that I would not adopt in a face-to-face situation. Right. So I am surrounded, and I mean this quite literally, uh, I am surrounded by people who believe differently from me politically, and I don't have face-to-face conversations like I see online. Yeah. And I really thought about that for a long time because I wanted to be consistent 
but I realized the inconsistency was coming in how I spoke on social media. And not that I was being ugly or right. hateful, just curt or uh, maybe sometimes sarcastic, sometimes, probably a lot. And I thought that's that's not how I would talk to this person who is actually a brother or sister of mine right. or even a stranger. I still wouldn't talk to that person that way in my living room. Right. So I virtually stopped making social media arguments virtually stopped. Occasionally I will pipe pipe in. But even then I find myself wondering if I've gotten the last word or so. So it was not healthy for me. And I there's a lesson in that. And that is uh oh and coincidentally people with whom I disagree whose opinions I read on social media, they don't talk to me like that when we are having face-to-face right. conversations because we're more nuanced and careful because we love each other. That was a, a lesson for me. So um, I, uh, I teach, most of the classes I teach are online. So when I give feedback for a paper, you know, I say, uh, you use the passive voice here. Don't use the passive voice. Um, this, this, uh, this preposition or this, uh, this pronoun doesn't match with uh, the previous antecedent. And, you know, all those comments that I make on the side of the paper could be, ex- could be decoded in extremely harsh ways. Yes. Right? <laughs> so I've gotten to where when I provide feedback, at least like oftentimes on the first paper that I give back to a student, I'll send the paper back with a video of me, you know, doing on a screencast, me showing them, now you might think about trying this, right? And my whole goal is, please don't read my comments, just read my comments, see the video and listen to the person and the tone of voice. And there's so many um, super segmentals and so many other elements that really need to be represented there to convey the full meaning because um, without them, you're left to assume that I hate your guts because you right. can't write. And given the tone of comments that people have received throughout their educational life, who can blame you for wanting to set that straight? That's right. Right. Well, um, that's right. And this is, I mean, you want to talk about medium, social media is in and of itself uh, bereft of of context. <laughs> Right? Um, And we are all the time wondering, what did you mean by that? Even if it's supposed to be funny, is it supposed to be funny, funny? Or there's just too much left undone. And so it's it's quite possible that the medium in and of itself is not only is it insufficient, but it is a part of the problem. And let me just add quickly that there I noticed also when I was noticing this number three phenomenon I just explained of people speaking differently – I started noticing that a lot of the people whom I respected greatly as having political thoughts and stances that I really saluted never said anything on social media about it, and I still knew they felt that way. And I thought, how how are they staying out of this and still making their thoughts known? Well, through well-articulated editorials (laughs) and through careful conversations from microphones. Not 140 characters. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or a dank meme. I just – I suddenly realized that arguments and and motivations exist whether people articulate them – or not, and you can be a poor articulator or a careful, seldom articulator and yeah. be effective. Now, everything we're saying so far is not new. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to understand right. the, the, the failure here, right? 
Um, and as a as a way to kind of get at the deeper, I think the 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 Christian side of this conversation, or the ways in which our faith inform the ways that we have conversations. Uh, I should tell you, uh, I think I've t- I think you may have observed this happening. <laughs> I uh, I called the president a nincompoop on Facebook. I probably could have called him much worse, but my mother called me on the phone. <laughs> this Did is you know such that? a great story. <laughs> yes. And you have to know Scott's mother. <laughs> yeah, mom called me on the on the phone and she said, Honey, I read your post on Facebook and you called the president an income poop. And uh, you need to you, you need to watch what you say. Anyway, she's right. My mom was right. Uh, I think that calling someone an income poop is probably, uh, depending on who they are, could be a very mild, um, a mild way of criticizing someone. But she's right. And one of the things that I um, admired about that interaction was that my mom believed that I care about what she thinks about what I write. Right. Um, that is that is dialogic. It is not merely me listening to my mama. It's my mama thinking that it matters to me that we have a conversation about how I act. That is moving to me. There's a the passage in John 2 where Jesus and his mother are having a conversation about there's not enough wine at the wedding. Yes. And, he's, and she says there's not enough uh, – the, the winekeeper has run out of wine. Um, you need to do something. And he says, woman – which is not – Not as rude as it sounds. Not as rude as it sounds in the, in the original language. But he says, what is this? my time has not yet come. And then she turns to the, to the stewards and says, do whatever he says. <laughs> She knows. She knows what's going to happen. Yeah. He, you know, this this is beautiful that um, uh, this this conversation happens. It's not that Jesus knows everything. I mean, I think he knows everything, but it's not just that. It's that there is a relationship, and that relationship is in and of itself deeper than whether Jesus's time has come. And I don't know if I'm interpreting that right, but I sure hope I am because I love that. I love that um, relationships matter more than anything else, that preserving relationships wherever possible matters more to Jesus or the, the conversation with his mother matters more than whether his time has come. Right. If that's true, if I'm interpreting that correctly, that's, uh, that's overwhelming. You know what else matters more than whether his time has come? What? That the wedding guests wow. were going to be embarrassed. Wow. The host yeah. of the wedding, not the guests, but the hosts were about to be embarrassed. Yeah. And she said... <laughs> take Do care it, of this. Take care of this, even if your time hasn't come. In parentheses, you know, that's important. Caring about the feelings of the other that's people right. in the room and in, the, in right. the setting. Wow, that's right. I hadn't thought about that, Cole. You know, but your root of relationship is so important, and you're you're actually causing me to remember something I haven't thought about in years. When I was a, gosh, I guess a high school student, we had a, a Bible class at my church, and it was taught by. A man who was, he was an insurance salesman. He was a fantastic Christian to my way of thinking because uh, he was very active in the church. But my point is he wasn't the preacher or... Sure. Uh, yeah, okay. And he really, really knew Scripture well and could talk about it with um, great intelligence. And 
it, he was talking about the subject of evangelism and evangelizing and quote winning souls and helping people come to know the Lord. And he said, you know, you can tell people that they need to love Jesus and they need to be part of a church community and that the way that they're living their life is not what it could be. But if you don't say it with tears in your eyes hmm. and love in your heart, it's just not going to matter. Hmm. I haven't thought about that in a long time, but it really affected me as I sat there listening because of how I had always tried to not suffer poor arguments. Right. And I thought, this this is I'm, – I'm learning something here. Right. And so, as we think about the way we interact with our friends trying to put bros before politicos, I want to move to some very specific examples okay. that are rooted in the very type of relationship you've been talking about. One of the most common things that I talk about with my friends is the issue of our healthcare system versus other types, single payer or um, socialized medicine combinations and whatever, looking at different countries and comparing. And what I get from people when out of context is clearly you do not care about sick people. Yeah. No one ever says that to me when we're in the living room. And they have said to me with, quote, with tears in their eyes, don't you care? How are we going to take care of people who are sick and can't afford it? Which is different from saying you don't care about sick right. people. Libertarians do not care about sick people. Right. It, and so we can have a more productive conversation. And it doesn't always end in agreement, but it's not, it does not void the relationship. That's an example of how, we, how we've done this inductively. And I think both in the podcast, and we do this with our students. So Cole and I sometimes have had uh, exercises with with our students where we kind of uh, illustrate the relationship in conflict. But one of the things that uh, uh, we talk about are misconceptions about the other's view, and that's one of the things I, I oftentimes bring up to students: is you don't, you, you can't get away with saying Cole doesn't care about poor people. You, that's the, and and we talk about why. But we leave unspoken the rule, and the rule is assume the best of the other person, right? Right. right. That's the rule. You assume uh, that I must have good intentions. You just don't know what they are because um, – I'm, I mean, I'm guessing, that's, I'm guessing that's what you do with me. That's what I do with you. I assume that uh, Cole is not a mean-spirited Grinch, so – Somehow I got to put these two things together. Yeah, what else can it be? If it's right. not that, if I rule out that you are an idiot who doesn't understand life. Or you're a meanie. Or you're a mean person who doesn't care about people, what's left? Right. Yeah. And then, and then uh, yeah, assuming the better angels of each other's nature, I guess this is something that's difficult to, to understand or uh, not everyone's going to agree. I mean, that, it's easy to get there from there. You know, we're talking in ways that make us sound really good. Oh, we're good at this. We're brilliant. <laughs> I'd like to talk about whenever I'm not good for a minute. Okay. And then you can tell me how great I am for talking about being not good. You're not going to make me talk about how not good you are. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to start over? Okay. No. Uh, I get one of the things that really upsets me is when people hail policies that are going to take away my 
my real property. And a lot of people who talk that way are people who do not have either any skin in the game or as much skin in the game. There are people who, with the exception of payroll taxes, do not pay federal tax because they have a certain number of children or they have uh, other things going on who are champions for programs that realistically and literally make my check smaller. With less skin in the game. Right. And so I want I want to move f- from wanting to shake them to actually <laughs> wanting to have conversations and say, do you not understand yeah. this and that? And when they still don't agree, I feel, I feel the anger rising up in me. And I have to therefore check. And I'm not always successful. So sometimes it's, um, it's not good. Yeah, uh, that's um, – um, I'll confess that for me, anytime I hear what sound to me like – I guess this is – I guess this would be similar to what you're describing. Anytime I hear something that to me sounds extremely selfish um, or self – I'm trying to think of a better word than solipsistic, but something that is where reality is defined through my own lens, you know, that just really – frustrates the heck out of me just because I feel like you're not bringing your a game to the conversation. You're just knee jerking everything. Mm. And, um, uh, as somebody who takes my arguments seriously, I think this is kind of what you were referencing earlier. Someone who takes my arguments seriously, I, I want you to have taken your arguments seriously too. And if you're not going to bring your a game, what I sometimes end up doing is making it sound like, I'm a. I come across arrogant. Hmm. I come across as a smarty pants uh, who uses words like solipsism, <laughs> and that's not nice. Yeah, and I I have to be very very careful not to be pedantic or um, over overbearing or teachy or however you want to say that because I, it doesn't build relationship. No, it's just. It's me flexing my, I, you know, it's me flexing my smarts muscles. Mm. And that's not, that's not helping anybody except, that's not helping anybody. Mm. Not, there's no except to it. It's just not helping anybody. Um, along these lines of assuming the best, I think we talked about Romans 13, but Romans 14 matters a great deal. When we're talking about bros yeah. and sisses. It matters a great deal. I mean, Romans 13 is about the relationship of the individual in relationship to the state. But Romans 14 is about the church. And I love what Paul says when he said, why do you judge your brother or your sister? To his own master, each must stand or fall. But he's not done yet. Paul then says, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. That, that is a brilliant way of telling me to shut up and recognize that my brother or my sister stands before Christ because Christ is able to make her or him stand. Not because they're right, mm-hmm. not because I'm right, not because I'm wrong, because of Christ. And so this is where Paul encourages us to change the lens, change the way we view each other away from this idea that um, we're on the same side of an issue or that we even agreed to the same set of values, but that we are defined 
by Christ and by him alone. And that's why sometimes I'm real careful when we talk about what the church is, and I say the church as defined by Christ. I always put that kind of modifier in. And the reason I put that modifier in is because it's imperative. It's an imperative modifier. This is those who belong to Christ belong to him regardless of where I stand. I just want to make sure I stand with him. And I stand because he's able to make me stand. And you stand because he's able to make you stand. You don't have great arguments. <laughs> I mean, you might, but, <laughs> but that's not the point. Right. The, po- the point is Christ is able to make you stand. Um, and so the lens that Paul puts on the church in Romans 14 it ends up not being about who eats meat and who doesn't eat meat. It doesn't end up being about whether you're for abortion or against abortion. It doesn't even mean that you agree with my theology or my ecclesiology or my understanding of the relationship of the church and that none of it matters. If Christ is able to make you stand, none of this matters. How do you like them apples? Those are some apples. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think a person listening who might disagree with you would say, but we're in this world and clearly our actions in this world matter because there's so much instruction about living in this world, about caring for sick and needy, about caring for widows, about loving each other well through Good Samaritan-like actions. So, surely it's, it can't live up in the clouds forever. Surely no. it's got tendrils to the ground and actually voting or not voting or supporting or not supporting in whatever support means for abortion or for health care, surely that's got to matter. I don't think it does. Now, I, what I will say is it... <laughs> wow! <laughs> you better It matters yourself. in terms of how we behave. My own behavior matters. Yes. I think there's a conversation to be had about whether abortion should be legal or illegal. I understand that's a conversation to the state. I feel very comfortable, and I have done this as a liberal youth minister. I feel very comfortable talking to teenagers and saying, please, in the church, and saying, please don't do this thing. It's my job. As a Christian, it's my job to say, please don't do this thing. As your vocation. It's my, I'm even happy to do it in the public square. I'm happy to say, please, please don't do this thing. Do I want to make it illegal? That's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, should the, should the doctor go to prison for 99 years? That's a different conversation. But uh, so I, I, I want to stop shy of talking about what my position ought to be in terms of how we coerce others to a policy. That's different from persuading, especially my brothers and sisters, to uh, moral behavior. So, in the context of what our podcast is about, being a Christian in the public square, you're saying you're much more comfortable standing in the public square, persuading people not to do it, more than spending your time trying to get legislation passed. Right. And let's talk about abortion. I think we could do a much better job of persuading people than we have been doing. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that holding up a a sign on the street corner is getting anybody, is changing any hearts and minds. Right. In fact, I'm pretty sure it hasn't been. Mm. I'm pretty sure, you know, blowing up uh, uh, abortion clinics is not getting a point across that you want to get across. Mm. It's, it's not effective. And so I would like to have a discussion with a rhetorician about good rhetoric when it comes to mm. making, uh, making our uh, 
persuasive argument in the in the public square. I think that's a very important conversation to have. Like we did sort of with Cheryl Bacon. Right, right, right. right. We, we do with Cheryl. Now, um, I'm even happy to pull a lever. I have a voice into whom I get to choose. And if I want to choose a politician who meets some uh, set of values that are important to me, that's also okay. But that is that is very different than um, me deciding that because of Jesus, I need to coerce my neighbor not to have an abortion. That's a different conversation. I can persuade her. And I can say to my sister in the church, you can't do this thing. Yeah. Like my mom can say, you can't call the president an income poop. We can talk. To, we, we have to be able to talk with one another. We have to be able to sharpen one another. So I don't have any problem whatsoever saying that there are things that we have to call one another to. That is a very different conversation than whether we have the responsibility to establish a law or take away a law. And knowing you, I'm, I'll bet you would say, putting words in your mouth here, uh, you're much more inclined to go down to the local pregnancy resource center and say, let me volunteer with something else besides holding up a sign, and I will do it. There's a couple. Um, uh, this is something I saw on social media, and it's hard to know whether these things are true or not, but there's a story of a couple who s- stood outside of a, a a clinic with a sign that said, please let us adopt your baby, yes. and apparently they were there for like a year. <laughs> a long time. And uh, finally somebody... Gave them their baby. Yep, I'm I'm totally down with that. Yep, uh, yep. that that gets all the right feel. As your friendly socialist liberal in the room, I'm totally down with that. Um, and as a Christian, I am moved by that. That connects to some of the. I mean, we talked about this, and I think it was episode two about the early Christians, right? This, yep. Uh, yep, you know, picking up babies off the side of the road. That's all the right feels for me. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's persuasive. It's hard to be cynical. In the face of a couple saying, we'll take your baby, we'll raise her, we'll love her, we'll, uh, she'll become a wonderful human being because you didn't kill her. That's great. You know, listen, I'll tell listeners that um, there are many things on the road of why Scott and I became such good friends. First, I we started talking about linguistics and how much we both enjoyed that academic pursuit, followed quickly by how much we loved certain sitcoms, <laughs> followed certain by you know, followed them by literature. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Scott is I had not met another Christian, and I'm sure they're out there. I just had not ever met anyone who appreciated Romans 14 in ways that I understood that it was important. I'd had a lot of people say, Yes, yes, that is an important chapter, period. But I had always read it thinking why are people not talking about Romans 14 yeah. a little bit, well, a lot more? And when I met you and we started talking about that, I thought, okay, so I'm not crazy to think that this, you know, has a lot of bearing on how you live a Christian, how I should live my Christian life. So, um, thank you for saying that. I uh, I feel the same way. I I was at a conference, um, this is years ago, I was at a, at a conference, and these were not straight up academics, although there were a lot of academics there, but this was supposed to be a conference of ministers uh, who were interested in applying. And it was on the latter part of Romans from 12 to 16. And the guy who was making a present, this is a major scholar, uh, making a presentation about Romans 14 was was discussing, you know, the who the eats meats and who the don't eats meats and all of this stuff. And, um, uh, kind of left the whole 
conversation untouched. And I remember asking, um, you know, Paul does not solve the problem in Romans 14. And he shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Okay. I don't know what to do with it either, but that's the thing we got to talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? As, as you said before, y'all go into a room and figure it out. Right. Right. I think that's what Paul is doing. I think um, he does. He seems to do this in Corinthians as well, where they seem to have this list of questions. Hey, you know, who has the best gift? He answers that one, and he answers the one about resurrection, but about eating meat, he's, he kind of says, y'all have to go figure this out now. That's a, that's a conversation of the dialogic. That's a demand for the dialogic, for an interaction, for communication. I mean, this is, for those of us, I'm not a, con- a full-on constructivist, but this is full-on constructivism, where we develop truth together. We understand truth together. Um, and Paul is kind of going there over and over and over again. I think this is the largest part of his argument in um, Philippians, when Yodi and Sentike aren't getting along. He says, I want you to agree in the Lord, have the same mind as you that was in Christ Jesus. And that's where he emptied himself and became a slave to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how Paul instructs Timothy on the church and the way it should behave, right? And that, that there's peace and there's uh, uh, interaction with one another, that the old women should take care of the younger women, train the younger women. The old men should train the younger men. The younger men should love and respect the older women. That's the, the kinds of interaction. It's the dialogic. And... Um, it's funny for me to say this because as I was coming up, I hated Paul. <laughs> Paul was the worst because I understood Paul coming up only as the um, uh, the critic of the church of of the church and as the um, emissary of a new law, and that law was very strict and stringent. And the the ways that Paul was interpreted as I was coming up were just destructive. Uh, but he is the He's a guy who expects, and he would hold a couple of us by the napes of the neck and hold us in a room and say, y'all have to love each other. You have to figure this out. He would lock the door and make us figure things out. I love that about Paul. Okay, I'm going to try to bring us back around to okay, a yeah, circle. And if this doesn't work, you have to tell me okay. because I, I have an insight. Earlier before we started, we talked about my sense of having a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Hierarchy, Right. Of things that are important in position A and things that are important in position B. Right. And I think you would agree that when Paul is being dialogic in these letters, the truth of Christ dying on a cross is not on the table. That's capital T truth. What is available for dialogic to go into a room and figure it out are the other things. The implications of it. Right. And Same with resurrection. For right. Paul, that is a non-starter. It's not, right. Don't try to argue with me because that's capital T truth, church in wherever right. town. So you guys, that's assuming that's true, y'all figure out about eating meats and about... Right. Okay. So in the same... Uh, that I'm, I've tried to explain my viewpoint as bros before politicos means... We have a relationship that is eternal, and that's not – that's capital T truth. That's not up for negotiation. What's underneath that is how we should or should not engage the state to try to love our neighbors. That can be 
negotiated. Sometimes it will not be negotiated the way I like it. Sometimes it will not be in the way that you like it. And we will argue about it, and it will cause contention, but it won't interrupt the things on level A that are not negotiable. That comes back to my friend at seminary. You have to tell me you love me. Yep. You have to. <laughs> That's uh, No, I think you're absolutely right yeah. that um, the, the gospel is in and of itself a capital T truth. The implications of the gospel are so complex – um, it's, this is, uh, as a, as a minister, this was the great irony for me of being a messenger of the gospel is the message is simple. You know, uh, John put it in, uh, uh, pretty concise terms for God so loved the world that he gave his only one unique son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Pretty simple. Um, the implications for that are infinite. Infinite. They include my mama telling me to take down a post about Donald Trump being the nincompoop. <laughs> right. Right? Right. It becomes infinite, and it, and it has to inform in so many different ways. And um, I – listen, if you believe that it is your – I know you don't, but if, if one were to believe that it is their God-given responsibility to vote for Republicans and make sure that every politician has an R next to their name, God bless you. I don't, I don't think that – I don't have the right to tell you you're wrong. I do have the right to call you to the better angels of your nature as you're making that decision, and I don't mind talking about it out loud with you and saying, hey, are you really think so? But anyway, <laughs> it's, that's not my job. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, my job is, as you're saying, I think the capital T truth is you, ha I, you have to tell me you love me. That has to be the imperative, and everything else is understood through that lens, um, which makes me really proud that you're saying that because you're starting to talk like a virtue ethicist instead of a deontological ethicist, but go ahead. <laughs> I'll continue I'm going to gonna convert so. you one of these days. I think so. Um, so... So number so one of these principles, the, the core principle, one of the core principles we're talking about here is uh, not judging the other person, assuming the, the very best of them. Number two is recognize that they um, they have a responsibility to Christ, and you are not in the position to judge whether they're doing a good job of that. He is able to make them correct. Stand. Uh, that we have to love one another. What's what are some other principles for you? How else do you make this happen? I guess I would say the way I try to make it it happened in my life is to realize quite overtly when I am talking about things that are second tier and try to make sure that my language is appropriately toned. Yeah. I, I've, I've bragged about before, but I think you do this really well. And it may be that you are forced to do it really well because there are so few of you libertarian Christians around. You know, there's, you say that with a smile, but it's so true. Yeah. I mean, it, there are, I, I, I often get a laugh from an audience or from my students when I say, I don't expect you to agree with me. And everyone laughs and says, good, he knows his place. Right. But I really, I really want to say, you know, the policy that you are advocating will take real property from me. Right. And real property matters. And people either sometimes continue to engage me in discussion or say, well, that's where we disagree. <laughs> right. And as soon as there's a group of people who, uh, who think that they agree with you, and then you also say, and I also have – that I also have positions that are uh, celebrate liberty on this. Well, you know what I'm saying. I do. Like 
like drug laws and right. and prosecution. So as soon as I think you agree with me on one instance, you're going to disagree with me on another. Right. And so it's tough to find a person who agrees with you. It is. <laughs> but you know what? There's, so maybe, there's more of us coming. Right. So maybe you get a lot of practice uh, – being uh, uh, trying not to run, be run out of town on a rail, tarred and feathered. In my current context, that's yeah. true. But I think you do this really well, and I think the um, the idea of measuring what I say is not popular in our time. No, you know, there's mm-hmm. a. I think we have an. I think we have a cultural value that is emerging, which is I've got to speak my truth. I th- think I talked about this one. Uh, Dr. Bacon was on, that, that, that our culture seems to value speaking my truth more than it does speaking to my neighbor. Right, or listening to my neighbor. Hey, I'm just saying, yeah, or listening, <laughs> that's the other part. Uh, but, but uh, hey, I'm just, I'm just saying what I believe, what's your problem? Right. Well, uh, the, sometimes the way I say what I believe is caustic, right? And so I, th- I think I have to be careful how I talk to people who disagree with me. And I think you do that very, very well. Uh, maybe, like I said, maybe because you get a lot of practice, but I think you do it really, really well. And I think it's something that we actually have to do. This is what my mama was saying when she says, you know, you can't say that. Um, you have to be careful how you talk. This is First Peter, right? Let your speech be salty and peppery, something like that. Right, right, right. And I think if there's anything... Of all the negatives we've said about social media and how it allows you to kind of be faceless and not in the living room, I do think one of the things that has come from it is that people are seeing the consequences of voicing their truth away from their own echo chamber when other people say, actually, I disagree for these 17 reasons. It has at least increased awareness that there are others who disagree with them. Yeah, maybe. And the tone, maybe you would say it's not worth it. I don't think it's uh, well. I don't think it's working because we end up uh, shutting each other out. So perhaps not worth it. In the hey, end. man, I, I got to be honest with you. I do uh, uh, go through my Facebook feed from time to time and take out a bunch of people. I don't need to know you think this. I just don't need to know it. I'm gonna. Hide you. I'm not defriending you, but I'm just going to hide you mm-hmm. so that I don't have to be reminded of uh, that you believe that vaccines cause autism. I'm just not going to deal with it anymore, and we'll be friends without having me re- reminded of it. Do you have evidence that vaccines don't cause autism? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I shouldn't make fun of that, but you know. But yeah, I mean, I, I know people believe that, and uh, I don't really want to talk about it with right. them. And I don't want to be reminded that they believe that. I want to love them anyway. And so sometimes you do. You have to shut people. You have to shut things off. And let's just not talk about it. Right. Um, and uh, so, and, but I think one of the things that's happened is we can actually create our own echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, I man, once in a while, I th- I think it starts off as bravery, but um, maybe it's not bravery. Maybe it's just. Um, voyeurism, but I end up going down the white supremacy rabbit hole on Twitter to see what's been going on. And there's an echo chamber there that nobody needs to be in. I feel like somebody's got to save me uh, from, you know, this becomes such a cynically dark place to see what's going on and the conversations that are going on and the the ways that, um, you know, just terrible, terrible arguments are reinforced and celebrated it's a 
there's, there's no there's no one talking back to them because there's no one in the room. Right. So, um, I maybe I'm less optimistic about social media than you are, and I that's one of the things that concerns me is I think that. Uh, there's even the possibility that this starts to happen within the church itself that we begin to bifurcate into that's the liberal church, you know, name, name your branch. I'm not talking about the denominations uh, insofar as I'm talking about the branches of the denominations. That's the liberal one. By that, I mean the ones where all the, the Democrats go and that's different from all the conservatives and, you know, that's, you and I come from uh, a tradition that in its in its beginnings, in its genesis, was a unity movement. You know, we so Cole and I are both members of the Restoration Movement, which was a unity movement. Hey, let's all just be Christians. And somehow or another, within just a few decades, that turns into we're the only Christians. Yep. Right. Um, I. I think that's a, a, a natural behavior for us is to f- kind of find ourselves in a room with people who are going to just say, yeah, Scott, you're right. It's so easy to put that room together. And you have to be, we have to be careful. I think we have to talk with people we disagree with and let them, um, let them yell at us for a while. I think the other thing is uh, that, I, that I would say an, another important principle is and this is something I think Christians of all people should be better at than anyone else. To be corrected. I don't mean to have your mind changed about a policy. I expect that you'll never convert me and I'll never convert you politically. Right. I, I think I've said before, I don't even want to. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was after our podcast, after we finished with, with Logan this, and, and uh, afterwards he was saying, it's so it's, it's so touching that we were going to get to have this conversation where this is not on the podcast, but afterwards Logan was saying it's so cool that you that the, you know that you guys can talk and have these conversations and and I was saying uh, you know I don't even want to change Cole's mind because it would be a dark day if Cole actually agreed with me I wouldn't have somebody to yell at anymore. So I'm not talking about being wrong in terms of arguments, but I mean uh, being able to hear. Um, that maybe I was hurtful or maybe I said something that I need to rethink, uh, that maybe I need to say, man, Maxima culpa, I'm sorry I hurt you or I'm sorry I said something some way. Um, and I, the reason I say that we as Christians are uniquely equipped for that is that we as Christians are uniquely equipped to ask for forgiveness, hmm. right? I practice the spiritual discipline on a daily basis in my daily prayers, I practice the spiritual discipline of asking Christ for forgiveness. And I expect that there are some things he has to forgive me for. And it doesn't surprise me that there are things that Cole has to forgive me for too. And I'm very comfortable with Cole having to offer me that forgiveness. That we are, that we are people who say, you know what, I'm totally, I'm totally adept at the process of saying, my bad. And because I have to do that on a daily basis with my master, that I have to do that with my friends and my loved ones or my brothers and my sisters is kind of uh, an assumed stance. So being able to say, as as you did to me, oh, I I didn't mean, 
I didn't mean to sting you and I'm so sorry. That to me is fundamental, is our ability to say, um, I'm hurting right now. And for the other person to, to without having been accused in, uh, or, or defined or, um, or caric- caricaturized is just to be able to say, hmm, that's, that's got to be painful. I don't mean to, be, to cause pain. My, my brother-in-law is one of my favorite people in the world, although he and I agree on almost nothing. Um, but he is a, he's, I just love hanging around him. He's, um, I hear people all the time say I'm a lot like St. Peter. This guy is the only person I ever met who is like Peter in, in, uh, in all ways. But uh, my brother-in-law, um, you know, he, when, he, when he votes, he pretty, pretty much knows that when he's making – he's pulling the lever, it's God's choice. Uh, and I admire that. I wish I had that sense of assurance that he seems to have. But uh, we tend to pull the, the lever for different people from time to time. Um, we, we could talk about politics up until about a year ago, and it's right now it's 2019. Up until about a year ago, we could talk about politics, but we can't anymore. And it's not because uh, we can't get along. It's because he's going through some stuff where he feels hurt uh, by the people that he voted, voted for or by the system that he voted for. He feels like it let him down. And that is no time for my schadenfreude. That is no time for me to dance on his grave and get all excited because he's, uh, he's having a hard time. That's the time for me to say, oh, man, this happens to me sometimes, and it sucks. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm so sorry you hurt this way. It's a time for me to be compassionate. If I care about him, that's the only thing I can do for him. I can't enjoy his uh, displeasure because it's painful and I'm, and he's my brother and he's in pain. It's not okay. And so the, the, I think the other layer, and this seems so silly to say out loud, but have compassion, have compassion for your brother and your sister that there are times where they're going to realize um, uh, that they're going to experience the, the pain of living in a world that is broken and fallen and where uh, people let them down. Or that uh, that my that my system that I decided was going to be great didn't work out, mm-hmm. or that a politician that I voted for turns out to be as terrible as everyone told me he was going to be. That's not a time to celebrate. It's a time to have compassion for people, and that's where I come back to the you know the fruits of the spirit, and the and the ways. Actually, when Paul uses that term, he uses a singular. The fruit of the spirit is love. It's almost as though he defines that like a like a semicolon: joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mm-hmm. gentleness, and self control. Because he says the fruit singular mm-hmm. of the spirit, and it, it's it's almost as if that's the recipe for getting this done. That's the recipe for having these conversations. Um, is, is to, if, if I, if I make a mistake, if I harm my brother or my sister, that I'm able to say, whoops, I totally don't want to do that. But also try not to do it in the first place. Try to be compassionate on the front side and listen long enough to know what they might be going through because it, it might be that, um, somebody who's celebrating today is going to have a very dark day tomorrow. And we have to be have to be open to that possibility. Romans Do you 14. want me to call? I, maybe I need an altar call? No. <laughs> How about just a recommendation? Stand to, come, come forward as we stand together and sing. That's right. <laughs> All verses 
of whatever we do. All verses of Just As I Am. All 1,700 of them.